Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined, as usual, by members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Hello, hello. And Cicero Holmes. I am a tough Kelpian. Some would call me unpalatable. <laughs> Wonderful. That's that's a good choice, too. We're going to have to talk about that line, too. But Well, my friends, we finally come to the end of the inaugural season for the newest addition to the Star Trek franchise. All the secrets, revelations, and characters of Star Trek Discovery have been laid bare, and we can now begin to more solidly ascertain exactly what this show's place is in the wider canon, and perhaps begin to more fully predict what we could see from it in the future. Now, This week, our discussion is going to be pretty narrowly focused on the season finale by itself. We'll have a forthcoming episode that examines the entirety of season one. But for now, we'll keep this as a pretty typical addition to our regular episodes in order to close out those kinds of discussions here, at least until season two begins. Of course, though, we'll ease into our news and episode discussions by talking about what everyone's been up to this past week. How have you guys been engaging with Star Trek since we last recorded? Besides, of course, taking in the finale of Discovery. Zachy, have you still been busy or were you able to fit in some other Star Trek? You know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so busy. I haven't been able to watch anything, but uh, what I have done at the risk of uh, doing a little self-promotion is I popped on uh, my Star Trek commentary tracks uh, that I've been doing for my nostalgia theater podcast with Glenn Greenberg. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't listen to my podcasts usually, but I had, I hadn't heard these. And, uh, so I just I popped them on and and again this is a little self promoting but they're pretty good I gotta say it's it's good entertainment we're we're talking through uh, the classic Trek uh, movies and and really I'm just a, a, a vessel for which uh, for Glenn Greenberg who is an expert on these things to really uh, share the the benefit of his just immersion in Star Trek uh, with the world so uh, pretty good if I do say so myself. And how many have have you gotten up to uh, the undiscovered country? We are we are uh, up through number four. Oh, and okay. So ne- next up is Star Trek Five. And the funny thing is, this all started because Glenn had reached out to me. He's like, "Hey, we should do a commentary on Star Trek Five. And and I was <laughs> like, "Why don't we do all of them?" Because <laughs> It's never the easy way. So, so number five is next, and then I, I feel uh, comfortable announcing it here for number six. Glenn and I will be joined by uh, Mr. Chris Clow. All right, that, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I think I've expressed multiple times on this show how much reverence I have for the undiscovered country. But no, it's uh, it's it's something I'm very much looking forward to, and I really, really appreciate the invitation. Uh, when you guys recorded your commentary for the motion picture, did you guys do theatrical or directors? That's a good question. We we did theatrical because the director's edition is not available on Blu-ray or digital. Right. Uh, so we went with with uh, the the theatrical cut. This was much to Glenn's chagrin because he has. I think deep-seated moral objections to the theatrical cut. Um, so I literally, I had to. Uh, he doesn't own it, and he's like, "I'm not buying it." And I was like, "Fine, I will buy it and send it to you, so that you have it to watch." So that was a lot of 
negotiating that we had to do, but but he still he still brought it. He brought the game for his time. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because uh, about a month and a half ago, I was actually looking into it. The director's edition is available digitally, but only through one channel, and that is Amazon Video. You can actually really? buy it in standard definition since it obviously hasn't been uh, mastered in HD on Amazon Video for I think ten dollars. But okay. who wants who wants to do yeah, that? Yeah. It's, it's it's so well. I mean, because the the effects on that were mastered in standard def. They didn't have the foresight to actually master them in high definition resolutions. So, which is such the metaphor for how Paramount has always treated Star oh, Trek. Oh yeah, to tell me about it. Oh my <laughs> god, we could we could have an entire episode just about that. But uh, <laughs> oh boy, well, Rachel, what have you been doing when it comes to engaging in Star Trek? I've been listening to Drastic Measures. A yes, you bit have. More. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to admit that I listened to a bunch of it, and then I had to go back and listen to it again because I wasn't paying attention for some reason. Oh, Rachel, tisk <laughs> So I actually haven't gone that far because I like had to retrace my steps. Yeah. Um. But I, you know, I haven't been making that mistake again because if I feel distracted, I've not been listening to it. Good, good. But that has also hampered my progress. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been watching some Star Trek too. Have I? Yes. <laughs> you've been watching a couple of of uh, TNG episodes. Oh, right. Clearly yeah. Very memorable. It's just it's just on in the background. <laughs> I forget. Well, yes, I I understand. Cicero, I, uh, I I have a bet going with Rachel right okay. now about whether whether or not you have finished Voyager. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't I don't know who who had the bet, but seeing as seeing as how I had gone through, I was going through about a season, a season and a half uh, per week per uh, per uh, debrief episode. I would say that one of you is disappointed to know that I am only up into season four, halfway, oh. halfway. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I spent a, a lot of time going to see Black Panther. So, yeah, sure. so, so that uh, that took up a lot of my time. Um, I probably could have seen about four or five more episodes of Voyager uh, if if it wasn't if it wasn't for me jaunting off into Wakanda. Um, so, oh, that's a hell of a job. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, kind of forever. Um, so, <laughs> I, I am halfway halfway through season four. I just finished the episode "Mortal Coil," um, which mm-hmm. is the one where Neelix dies, and Seven of Nine brings him back after after being uh, dead for eighteen hours. And he has an right. existential crisis about his um, his race's beliefs for the afterlife um, when he realizes that he was dead and he didn't uh, view the afterlife uh, as as was promised. And he didn't get to see all of his family, uh, the family that he was looking for, uh, looking forward to seeing. So uh, it was a it, it was a really it was a good episode. I'm really enjoying I do feel that you and Zachy were correct, and and Rachel were correct. Uh, Rachel correct being that uh, seven of nine is much better than Kess. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and that the show itself uh, has definitely picked up steam um, as a result of having uh, seven in in this area and and the fact that they are in uh, an uncharted portion of the Delta uh, the Delta Quadrant. So um, I really do feel mm-hmm. like the the each and every episode so far has been stronger uh more and more strong uh or stronger than than the one that before it um a there is a there is one though that is a standout and i can't remember the name um but uh you and i talked about it chris briefly it was with um oh crap kirkland kirkland smith what's what's his the yeah, Year of Hell. Year of Hell, Hell two parter was super, super good. Um, that was that yeah. was of course teased in an episode featuring Kess and when she was aging backwards. Um, but uh yeah, mm-hmm. the Year of Hell two parter was was super, super good. Um and uh yeah, yeah. Br- brought in some uh, brought in some existential crises and and questions of, of its own. Uh, within that episode so that was that was super super good and uh and of course uh shout out to john reese davies who plays leonardo da vinci in several episodes during the season um, <laughs> yeah. so that's that's always great yeah. uh to see um both a both a uh what he's not an ogre what is he what are they what are they called gnomes a dwarf, dwarf. Yeah. a dwarf and a professor um from uh, slider so <laughs> Uh, is it was great to see both of those, uh, see that guy in, in, in a character such as Leonardo da Vinci. So that was great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're of hell. I do love and Chainway is such yes. a badass yes. in those episodes too. I mean, when she, when she goes into the fire and she's like, all right, right well, I'm going to yeah. get burned. Oh, well, and she's in any way. Yeah. Hell. That yeah. Tell, tell me about it. Well, uh, as for me, I mean, it's mostly been similarly to Rachel. I've been listening to Star Trek Discovery Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward. And we also uh, recently rewatched the TOS episode that the book is largely based off of, The Conscience of the King, that features uh, Governor Kodos. And I am really impressed with this book. I would uh, would very much encourage you guys to give it a read, especially if, uh, if you like Captain Giorgio. And if you are curious and or enamored or both with the prime universe vision of Gabriel Lorca, because both of those characters are given a significant amount of, uh, of exploration and I am just over the moon with them. In fact, I mean, it's making me sorrier that Giorgio's prime universe self isn't around anymore and it really makes me want to meet Lorca's prime universe guy, presuming that this is the same kind of characterization that we do get in the show, should he show up. But uh, it's a great book, highly recommended, especially uh, ahead of the fact that um, at least Rachel and I, but maybe more of us, will be reviewing it in a few weeks' time after we review the full first season of the TV show. So definitely look for that as we go forward. But before we actually get to our episode discussion, we have couple of news items, so let's go to those first. So, 
Some details for Discovery's second season have emerged in the form of an interview with co-creator Alex Kurtzman that includes some pretty interesting tidbits. While there is one major aspect that we won't discuss here because it'll step on the toes of our episode discussion, Kurtzman did hint at the idea that we haven't seen the last of Ash Tyler or Laurel, and that tensions with the Klingons could potentially flare up again, since they may not necessarily be particularly happy with the way that the war ended. Obviously, we'll be discussing the end of the war in detail here in a few minutes, so I just want a very basic answer initially, but save most of your thoughts for the relevant part of the episode discussion. Do you guys feel that it's necessary to continue discussing either these characters or the larger makeup of Federation Klingon antagonism in the show's second season? Rachel? Um, Necessary? No. It's probably not necessary. Would you like to see it? But yeah, sure. Um, I think Laurel and Vok Tyler are interesting characters, and mm-hmm. yeah, I would be happy to see them again. You'd be interested in seeing yeah. more of that? Oh, okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. Cicero, how about you? Are you ready to see more of Laurel and, and Volk? Uh, I personally like those characters very much. Um, the the arc of... Uh, uh, to Voke mm-hmm. or Tie Voke uh, has has been uh, has been really really compelling, and I think Lorel is uh, she's really been a puppeteer behind the scenes and is now stepping out into the forefront. Uh, so I you know I really uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her have a chance to kind of stretch her wings as a character and and or spread her wings as a character and and see what they can do with mm-hmm. that. Um, also, you know, not to mention something that Zaki mentioned last week, which is, um, you know, they needed a way to legitimize this Cold War. And I think uh, these two characters can really help further further that the the coldness of their war of the war with the Federation. Sure. Alone. Very well said. Uh, yeah, and I'm certainly interested in seeing more of these characters. Uh, one of the things that we're going to have to talk about in our episode discussion is about how all of us, to varying degrees, but especially me, were really wrong about what was going to happen in the finale. Uh, in fact, I, uh, you know, I listened back to the last episode that we recorded, and it included at the end of it a prediction that I had made over how I thought the season finale was going to go, and I just sound like an idiot now. So, so we're, we're definitely going to have to uh, have to talk about that. Uh, one other news item that I wanted to mention uh, before another question to the panel. In an announcement of the CBS Corporation's fourth quarter financial results, the network's chief, Les Moonves, spoke a little bit about their new streaming service and gave some lip service to the role that Star Trek has played in it. He said, quote, 2017 was a breakout year for CBS All Access. We doubled our subs year over year, and we kicked off our best month ever in January. We're driving this growth first and foremost and with our content. This includes our big events like the NFL and the Grammys, more than 10,000 episodes of current and library programming, and our original series programming led by Star Trek Discovery, which has obviously been a runaway success. He also said that the new Twilight Zone TV series with Jordan Peele developing is in pre-production and that Discovery Season 2 is on track to begin shooting its second season in April on top of the other original programming they have planned. So, guys, now that we're at the end of Discovery Season 1, I have a very simple question. Have you turned off your all-access membership yet? 
And if not, are you planning to in the near future? Cicero. I've thought about it, but no. Um, in fact, I may even uh, lean, steer into it and buy the annual subscription. Really? And call it a day. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there, there is other content uh, that I watch on CBS. Um, I am a big fan of Big Brother. Mm-hmm. And one thing that uh, All Access gives you is access to the live feeds. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's uh, which, interesting. You know, that's funny. Yeah, so- so uh yeah so if i really want to continue to watch watch humans like uh like they're animals at the zoo <laughs> um then I, then I can then i can spend I, you know i think it's 100 bucks for the year or something like that mm-hmm. and and just have it and and let it and just have it have it be done um i i kind of hate myself for it <laughs> but uh it, it's it's a thing that i probably want well up. and we haven't gotten any information yet as far as a premiere time frame for discovery season two so i mean who knows you're if you do buy an annual subscription then that might run over into when we do finally get the second season uh, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be pretty good. But yeah, I think you kind of answered the next part of my question because you know one of the things we talked about before was that CBS All Access content was added as a quote unquote channel on Amazon Prime. But I assume that the stream you're talking about is probably exclusive to their own app. Um, I don't think that it is. I, I think what they because what they've said basically is that. Uh, if you get all access, you can get all access on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And if you have all access on Amazon, it's just part of Amazon. Oh. So you just have, uh, you have everything that's there. The one caveat is, of course, that, uh, they, they are separate. So mm-hmm. if you purchase CBS all access, um, on the CBS, you know, on, on the, through the CBS Avenue mm-hmm. and you want to use it on Amazon, you have to either cancel it on CBS and then, you know, there's separate subscriptions. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I don't know if I'm, if I'll consolidate, mm-hmm. um, because I do have Amazon Prime, but, uh, that, that's probably a decision I'll have to make when I decide whether or not I'm going to go annual. Sure, sure. Rachel and I haven't discussed turning it off a lot in detail. Uh, it, one thing that's kind of fun is that, you know, her her parents log into ours every once in a while and we see old episodes of Perry Mason in our watch history. It's like, oh, there, Rachel's dad was watching. Uh, so, I mean, there is there is some stuff on there that I would probably like it would probably be an easier thing for me if Star Trek wasn't so readily available on other streaming services. Shh, Chris, don't tell, don't tell them that. Don't tell CBS. I don't, they're think, listening. CBS, I don't think they're listening to this show. <laughs> yeah. well, somebody's listening. And well, what, they could tell CBS, but we um, haven't really talked about it. What do you want to do? Do you want to keep it on, or you want to turn it off? What other or what is this other original programming they have? Because I'm not aware of it. Well, that's the thing, like, right? I mean, it's not really prevalent. The, here's the thing: I kind of want to keep it because I would like to maintain access to Discovery at least until it's released physically. Or, you know, I am interested in this idea of a Twilight Zone show with Jordan Peele in, in the driver's seat, and I think that would make it an easy thing to keep once that rolls out. But you and I were talking earlier today about how we're signed up for all these streaming services. Uh, shut it down. We don't need all of them. Yeah, shut it down. Shut it down. We have, I mean, the thing is that we have so many streaming services and like 
the amount of money we pay for streaming services versus the amount of time we have to like watch stuff is like that's true it doesn't make any sense yeah and so i don't know shut it down it's so okay but what, what rewatch rewatch star trek discovery and then we'll shut it down or turn off <laughs> one of the other ones yeah or that because netflix is the most expensive one yeah even compared with hulu but We'll we'll have to. This is our uh, yeah. We're we're airing our, our dirty laundry. Our, our family, it's a marital argument. Family financial discussion. <laughs> well, but Cloudcast. But but no, I think it is a worthy question to ask at large, though, because I wonder if CBS is going to see a big drop off. But I mean, obviously, our panel isn't a very huge research sample. But if I was judging by just our panel, maybe they're not going to see a big drop off. All right, well, we do have quite an episode to talk about, so let us move along to Star Trek Discovery Season 1's finale, Episode 15 of the show overall, Will You Take My Hand? Emperor Giorgio, posing as her prime counterpart, assumes full command of Discovery in order to attempt to lead the Federation to victory against the Klingons. Seeking out reliable intel about the Prime Universe's planet Kronos, she and Michael confront a captive Laurel in the brig. When Laurel refuses to give up any information, the Emperor savagely beats her within an inch of her life before Michael intervenes, saying they should find information from the newly restored Ash Tyler. Tyler, repentant of his crimes committed as Vogue, cooperates and says that a drone, intended to map Kronos and provide possible targets, should enter the planet's dormant volcanic system beneath the surface through an entrance beneath a shrine, and the Emperor agrees to the plans of whom she calls a half-breed. So, uh, the first thing that I want to ask you guys about the opening of the episode, and this might be an extrapolation on my part, but what does the employment of the Emperor and her methods tell you about the Federation, particularly at this point in its history? Do you think that previous conflicts like with the Zindi and the Romulans in addition to this war play a part in their desperation? Or is the Federation leadership simply acting based on the losses they've suffered? You know, there aren't a lot of canonical references to the Romulan War in the shows. I mean, obviously, Enterprise couldn't really touch it. And uh, we got a couple of things in Next Generation. But I think the biggest canonical hit in, in the Star Trek universe actually comes from Star Trek Beyond, where you actually see one of the soldiers of that war and the consequence, like he was so Balthazar Edison right. was so like consumed with this idea of the Federation having no teeth compared with United Earth and with Mako. And so it seems like the end of the Romulan war brought about this era of peace. Obviously it pushed Earth into helping to found the Federation, but I mean, it's just in that context, it does bring up some interesting questions about this war, but Rachel, how about you? Um, I mean, I get that they're supposed to be super desperate, and I don't know. I can't really speak to the Zindi because I don't watch that season <laughs> very much. You will watch it again, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I just wish they had maybe like made me feel it a little more. Like I felt like they were really like showing us, like, look how desperate they are, and. Um, I would have liked to have actually emotionally felt that on a deeper level. Than just seeing a map, you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I just yeah. don't. I, I think maybe I don't know at the slower pace would have done it or or something else. I just mm-hmm. felt like I was being told that the situation is desperate as opposed to being shown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cicero. Yeah, I, I felt like the uh, Federation didn't really need to get their arms twisted all that much uh, to um, to be in, persuaded into uh, a full on onset genocide. Um, it was, right. it was, it was a little weird to me. Um, and, and it is a question, I think that, like Zachy said, that, that, uh, I've been kind of wrestling with, you know, was it, you know, like the Zindi crisis was that, that moment where it, you know, kind of defined the, the, the Federation, um, you know, or, mm-hmm. and, uh, now we've got this other moment that, that, shows us that we're not better than ourselves and and you know and and, and that could potentially be a human flaw and, and you know a failing of humanity yet again that that uh even even you know when we're brought to the brink we will forego our principles to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. um but the the weird part about that is so was Sarek. Sarek was Sarek was very willing to uh, go along with that plan. Um, you know, I guess, you, you know, in retrospect, much to his shame, but, but still, right. but still didn't need to have his arm twisted all that much in order to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that this is really one of the most visible ways that discovery is attempting to be of its time, you know, because the Zindi conflict thematically was supposed to tie in with the idea of being, uh, like, 22nd century earth september 11th event like it was a catalyzing moment for uh sobering the ideas of what is actually out there and maybe you know the frontier bites back uh and we are still sort of in that idea but and we'll obviously get to this as we go on but uh there was a little bit of a bent to it by the end of the episode that kind of turn it's on turns it on its head and uh, we will most certainly discuss that. Uh, but how much does Giorgio's refusal to recognize Tyler as a person, as opposed to a thing that she basically calls him, play into the perspective that Michael develops over the course of this episode? Because just speaking personally for a second, I found myself having a rather strong reaction to the pronouns that Giorgio was using to describe Tyler and was personally relieved to see Michael correct her almost as soon as I was planning to yell at my TV. But uh, Rachel, did you have a perspective in the moment about that? Because she just, she looks at him with such disdain and she doesn't even acknowledge the fact that, like she doesn't even care that he could hear, you know, what what she's saying about it. She's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Like she's awful from the, like in the entire episode, she's just awful to, like she's awful to Kayla. Yeah. Um, the, that tete-a-tete with Saru at the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. and then she's like just beating the shit out of Laurel. <laughs> and like maybe that works in the mirror universe, but I'm sitting there going like, you can't beat information out of a Klingon. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was just all to make you hate her. And, and I think that's something that the episode did well was you it made her into a villain sure. that you were happy to see Michael go against. And maybe that I was kind of subconsciously influenced by the book that we're reading because Giorgio 
prime Giorgio is so different yeah. from her, you know, yeah. and it makes it even clearer to yeah. that effect. Cicero, did you have any impressions from this? Well, it was the first time uh, since she's been introduced that I really felt like uh, the emperor was villainous. Sure. Just straight up, you know, straight up black hat heel. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, as Rachel said, throughout the entire episode, you know, how she referred to uh, Kronos, uh, her, her um, conversation <laughs> with, with uh, Saru, the, mm -hmm. the dressing down or the minor dressing down that she gave to, to Burnham on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all of those things. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it was just the capper, of course, with all of that was, uh, was, you know, how she, how she dealt with Tyvok. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, at, like, man, it was, it was very heavy handed. And obviously it was, it was effective to kind of put her in a space. Um, but it, it was, it, it seemed a little sudden for me. Sure. From, from where I where I saw her and how I viewed her in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. Certainly one of the criticisms that I have for the episode overall, which I'll which I'll save for near the end of the discussion. But why don't we move along with the plot? So Discovery uses the spore drive to jump to a nearby cave on the surface of Kronos and a landing party of Giorgio, Burnham, Tyler, and the handpicked by the Emperor Cadet Tilly poses traitors inside the Orion Embassy on the surface. The Embassy itself is a den of hedonism and lawlessness compared with regular Federation society, and a scene on the surface even answers an interesting question about the male Klingon anatomy. How about that? Uh, Giorgio avails herself of Orion pleasure workers, and that turns into a brutal interrogation session, while Tilly, high on a narcotic in an attempt to blend in with the crowd around her, discovers that the volcanic system is, in fact, active. The drone Giorgio will deploy is actually a hydro bomb that will render the planet uninhabitable, which is certainly one way to end the war. Uh, so what did you guys make, before we actually talk about the plot point, let's talk about the setting. What did you guys make about the Orion Embassy itself? Because one thing I've heard a lot of over the past week is like a direct comparison with something like Littlefinger's brothels in Game of Thrones. But I don't think it went that far. Did you find the design interesting? Did it add to the character of the episode for you, Cicero? Start us off. Yeah, sure. I mean, this was this was a space where you were supposed to feel like, uh, you know, all there were no rules and you know, no holds barred, and and I think they were effective with doing that, and it was fun, uh, to see the the cast kind of interact with all of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I had, I, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Rachel. It actually reminded me more of Blade Runner than <clears throat> Littlefinger's brothel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. I liked when Tilly ate the whale and was grossed <laughs> out by it. <sighs> also, also it wasn't a narcotic. It was like volcano gas yeah. that she inhaled. Yes. Well, it was used as a narcotic though. I don't, uh, it was. Well, yeah, I it won't, was. I won't argue like what the mechanism of action of the of the volcano gas is to get you it high. It was. But. It was volcanic. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for all intents and purposes, yeah. Uh, and I mean, 
kudos to Mary Wiseman because she definitely got quite a few laughs out of me oh, yeah. this episode. Like the, the the way that she played that, I thought was really really charming and fun. But yeah, overall, I mean, maybe maybe sort of like um, Blade Runner had a baby with a little finger brothel. You know, I mean, because the the scene where the emperor goes into the pleasure room kind of pushed that button a little yeah. bit, but it certainly w- was far less. You got to watch more Game of Thrones. Maybe. <laughs> or, that did not that did not approach the sex position. Well, there of... aren't many thongs in Star Trek, Rachel. I saw a thong, and okay. as far as Star Trek goes, that's. I think there were two right. thongs, but there might have been two, that two thong, the thong, well, thong, thong. There thong, you go. Right. <laughs> that. <laughs> That was a song that was big when I was in high school. Um, yeah. But, what? well, there is something that I do want to ask you about, though, Rachel, as our resident biologist. So, for some reason, the first scene in the history of the Star Trek franchise to depict urination has been drawing quite a lot of comment from people. Uh, from my perspective, I think it would have been tasteless if not for the revelatory information we got about Klingons. You know, I found it really interesting, considering what we already knew about Klingon biological redundancies. Uh, so what did you guys think about this? I'll throw it to resident biology PhD candidate first. Rachel, the Klingon, the Klingon two-prong urination. You think I know anything about this biological? Sure. Why not? Well, I mean, I know it's like possible for humans. So why not? Really? Yeah. It's news to me. Oh, yeah. No, no, I mean, I saw it. it yeah, I saw it on yes. Reddit. So whoa. So yeah, Klingons have two dicks. That's a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. I yeah. So I mean, I know that like I think like hamsters and rodents, like they have actually like two um, like like bifurcated like like wombs like uteruses mm-hmm. and each one has its own like entrance okay um so i guess it's possible like if you're gonna have bilateral symmetry like yeah like in- instead of having like one set of reproductive organs you actually have two mm-hmm. I, that's that seems plausible I it just it leads a lot of questions about things that Worf has done in the past <laughs> <laughs> What about Laurel? I mean, she she was into Tyler after he was Tyler. It's like, really? Well, I I mean, conceivably, not everything was changed about him, but I thought that, I don't know. All right, now we're going into into different territory. It's getting getting blue. Zachy, what did you think about this? I mean, obviously, just we're we're so familiar. We've heard about Klingon biology before. Was what I want to know is, was this tasteless to you? Or did you find it kind of moderately interesting, considering what we already know about Klingon anatomy? I mean, I I, I can't say that that some great void in my <laughs> life has been been fulfilled with this. You know, I, I don't think it was tasteless, but I mean, it's just kind of like okay, I guess. You know, it reminds me of uh, back in the day, this guy Chuck Austin used to write uh, X Men, and right. like out of nowhere, he he was like, you know, Nightcrawler, he's got two dongs, and he, and he, he like. <laughs> And it was just one of those things where, where I read that and I'm like, okay, but I'm like, why even say that? <laughs> this thing, right? Because there's what, what expression is that ever going to have in any kind of a story? You know what I mean? yeah. 
that's a so good that's point. Good. It's like, too much like, information. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Very, very well said. Very a nice Chuck Austin reference. I don't think I own that issue. That's uh, a deep cut. That is, that is that is a pretty deep cut. I I mean I jumped off of X Men after Morrison finished, and then he came on, or maybe that was his first run. I'm not sure, but who oh boy, Mister Austin, what a guy. Uh, Cicero, did you have any reaction to this or perspective? Uh, you know, I just thought it it helped color the world. Um, yeah, I mean, if we we don't want to get blue, but I I you know. There have been there have been times in my life where uh, there have been two streams, and and it's it's not because anything is bifurcated outside of the stream. So, so I think when I I think when I saw it, that's what I thought. Like, oh, uh, well, you know, there's some toilet paper, you know, and, and stuff there. Something. Now, I'm reasonably sure that if you downloaded this episode, you were not expecting that. No. I'm yeah. Yes. But so, but it wasn't it wasn't something that I saw and, you know, I clutched my pearls. I it was just Well, no. it was just you know, it was just a thing like I think, you know, I mean, it was one of the first images. I think the first image that we saw was a passed out was a passed out Klingon, you know, laying in the alley. And then the ne- yeah. the very next image was someone, you know, micturating in the, uh, in, 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 you know, in the alley as well. So like, and, and again, I'm a New Yorker. So like, it's not the first time <laughs> I've seen it. So. <laughs> and this has been Discovery P. <laughs> oh, I wish I didn't already choose the episode title because that that was gold. Oh man! Well, fit, no pun right. You Dis- can change it. <laughs> Just disruptors on full. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's after that joy. Let's let's move along with the plot. And this one, you know, I pack quite a bit of uh, the plot synopsis into this point. So let me let me run through it here. Burnham confronts Cornwell back on Discovery, who admits that detonating the bomb in the active volcano will annihilate all life on Kronos, which will consequentially win the war. Burnham insists that Starfleet not commit genocide and that the ethics of the Federation and the luxury of principle are all we have. Cornwell agrees to augment their plan, and Michael travels to the surface and convinces Giorgio to give up the detonator in exchange for her freedom. They give the detonator to Laurel who uses the threat of mass destruction to unite the Klingon houses under her leadership and to end the war. The Discovery crew are hailed as heroes, and Burnham is issued a full pardon and restored to the rank of commander, while Ash Tyler chooses to remain with Laurel on Kronos. Okay, so a lot to unpack here, and this is where, in all candor, I think the episode struggles quite a lot. Uh, I personally love the character work in this whole show, but the plot work is a bit of a mess. To me, it seems that the previous couple of episodes simply put way too much on the plate of the finale to resolve things satisfactorily. Uh, Even though I generally like those resolutions, uh, it just seems like things ended on a bit of a note of a whimper that didn't, it was a bit anticlimactic. Even though I liked the message that it was trying to push forward about re-emphasizing the Federation's principles, I like that, but it, they just piled way too much on before this finale, and that resulted in a conclusion that I wasn't fully happy with. So, give me your full postmortem on the plot and the character work at play here. Did you approve? Did you disapprove? 
or something else? Cicero? I um I felt similarly to you. Um like it was just it was so sterile. Um and it was so convenient that the writers, you know, the writers just said, "Okay, well, hey, you know, we've got to we you know, we've got to wrap this up. Why don't we just say X?" And um it, you know, it it just it just didn't it didn't vibe with me um at all actually. Um Mm-hmm. But the you know uh, like you said the character work was 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 phenomenal the performances were phenomenal um yeah but yeah i mean it just it like really uh, you know and i felt i felt similarly in uh in in the episode that kind of wrapped up the the mirror universe where where mm-hmm. you, like everything happened so quickly and everything happened so neatly that you you felt like this couldn't possibly have been the resolution, it, you know. If we're pretending that this is real, if we're watching historical documents, um, that that this couldn't have possibly been the way that it wrapped up. It's just way too tidy. And again, I think this was the same thing. And 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 on top of that, uh, it you know it man, it felt like. An episode of like Voltron or Power Rangers or, you know, any, mm-hmm. any 30 minute cartoon that you, that you watch where, you know, Laurel comes in and says, Hey, I've got this thing. If you guys don't do what I say, I'll blow everything up. Or if you try to kill me, I'll blow everything up. And everyone laughs at her in, in Quonos. But then the next scene we see are the ships that are getting ready to attack Earth fly away in unison. Yeah. Um, you know, like so it was just like how is this actually happening? And you know, had they had the time, had they planned this out a little bit better, I think that we would have I I think they could have done all of those things and it would have been much more satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And uh yeah, the same same thing with me. The the moment seeing the Klingon ships fly away from Earth when it's within visual range like that really i don't think they should have had that image in there but zaki how did this land with you did are you in in a bit of a similar boat or a different boat what do you think no i'm 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 with you guys and and i mean it it occurred to me i'm like how tenuous is the federation that but for michael burnham happening to be there <laughs> they almost committed genocide <laughs> I mean, that that baffles the hell out of me because it's like, I would have been more intrigued if, if Burnham's like, don't do this. This is blah, blah, blah. And Cornell is like, of course, we're not going to do that. Here's what Mm -hmm. we're actually doing. Yes. Or something that, because to me, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's sloppy to me because, because it, it, it weakens the Federation as a concept to strengthen Burnham as a character. And I don't think you need to do that because Burnham's already a strong right. character. Yeah. Uh, so I found, I, I don't know, I found that irksome. So yeah, that, absolutely. that's my thought. And I think I'm, I'm in general agreement with you. Rachel? Yeah, I agree with what's been said. Um, and I agree with myself from the last episode. <laughs> where, uh, like, so A, I didn't fully emotionally buy the desperation Mm -hmm. i also like um 
I don't like it in continuity wise right. that there's, you know, these massively deadly attacks that have happened where it's like, sh- surely, like, people's family members have been killed by Klingons. Well, that, that's and- what I was going to ask you next, because you expressed a lot of misgivings about the war in previous episodes. So, oh, yeah. Did the finale resolve them or exacerbate them or do something else? I assume that it might have exacerbated them for you. Yeah, uh, they didn't resolve it. It didn't resolve it in any way. Mm-hmm. I just, the the retcon is too large for mm-hmm. me that there should be huh. people who are traumatized by this having happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that should have shown up. Um, and that's the kind of continuity thing that bothers me. Like the, the aesthetics of everything, whatever, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of these like broad strokes things that you can have like giant like massive interstellar wars. Yeah, interstellar wars that never get mentioned again. It's like mm-hmm. if you're going to do that, set it after Voyager. Well, let me let me throw a possible caveat yeah. at you though. Even if we know that in the original series this conflict is not referred to, at least not in any way that has been retcon for us. Yeah. Would you find it maybe more satisfying if this specific war is revisited to that level in a future season of this show. That would be mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Could that potentially that resolve what? things? I don't think it'll resolve things for me, but like I'm always going to know it's a retcon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is kind of odd the, the way that you bring it up because there are characters that we know, and you and I talked about this last night, that we know that are serving in Starfleet that we will see in the original series. Yes. Scotty is a veteran of this war. He has to be. Yeah. You know? And based on right. his age. Yeah, based on it, because as far as I, th- I think anyway, he's the oldest member of the Enterprise crew. Uh, by the time Teal is McCoy older than him, I, I feel like okay. Yeah. Well, so conceivably, both of them then are are veterans of the war. Spock is a veteran of the war. Kirk, I mean, even though right. he's only a lieutenant by this point, he's still technically a veteran of this war, depending on where he was and what he was doing during this conflict, but. Wasn't mentioned in his autobiography. Wasn't mentioned. <laughs> Wasn't mentioned in his autobiography, obviously. But, you know, as I said before in a previous episode, Kirk does have a significant a significant amount of antipathy towards the Klingons when we meet them for the first time. Yeah. So maybe that came from this? Maybe. Sure. Maybe. Well what 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 do you guys think about this? I mean, same same general question. Did uh the place of the war in the show overall uh, hit you in a bad way, a good way? Did it make things worse for the for the entire show and the entire history of the Trek universe? Cicero, it, um, man, it, <laughs> it was it was tough. Like it's tough. Well, first off, if you think about it, if you think about it from this perspective, that that you've got a there were a a large group of people that were veterans of the World War Two, you know, Vietnam, you know, all of these all of these wars that held racist pejoratives. Towards their enemy, towards the enemy of 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 that war. Long after, and we don't see any of that in TOS. 
Hmm. We, you know, we see some of it, but not, but not, not enough to make it, to make it like believable or, or real. So one other thing I want to bring up too, a couple more points on this plot point before we get to to something big that happened near at the very end of the episode. But the crew of Discovery are hailed as heroes. Stamets has been promoted to lieutenant commander. Tilly has earned her first pip as an ensign and a place on the command track. And Michael's commission has been restored and her crimes have been pardoned by the president of the Federation. How do you guys feel about the crew at large and where they're placed as we head into season two? Are you pretty satisfied with – because, I mean, I think generally we all like the character work that was at play here. So when it comes to the the standing of the characters specifically as we get ready to join this crew for more adventures in the future, how do do they sit with you? Zachy? You know, they – they feel it feels like appendages in 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 search of a head right now. Uh, even even though Burnham is is the the nominal the lead of the show, we still need a captain. And so waiting for that, like I I feel like other than Burnham, like I don't mind Saru. I you know Tilly's fine. I like Stamets, but none of them. I don't know. I haven't formed like a kinship with any of them as compared to the other Trek characters. And then I think to myself, like, well, how long did it take me to really, uh, you know, glom onto Riker or, or you know, uh, Geordi or whoever, you know, was it right. the result of, of just voluminous numbers of episodes? I, I don't know. I'm, I'd, I'd say it's like a, it, it, it's a TBD right now as far as how I feel about the characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. Cicero. Yeah, um, man, listen. So uh, I was waiting for Chewbacca to come out and roar, so so people could clap. Um, I mean, that's really kind of how I felt once once that stuff happened. But uh, I mean, at the same time, uh, like, uh, yes, it it was it was this. I mean, the season was really all about the redemption story, the, the downfall and the redemption of Michael Burnham. And I, and I felt those things and I appreciated mm-hmm. those things. And, and, and then of course, uh, I think secondly, the maturation of, of Ensign Tilly, uh, you know, from cadet to Ensign and, and, you know, fulfilling her destiny to potentially become a great captain, uh, mm-hmm. for the Federation. So, I mean, I thought those things were great and, and, uh, Stamets getting promoted and, and Colber, uh, being, being posthumously, uh, awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, yeah. But uh, the one thing that I keep, that I keep wondering is like, what the hell does Saru have to do in order to get command of the ship? Like, I mean, <laughs> how much more does this guy need to show that he is worthy of command? Um, right. I mean, like, he, we we again in this episode had another moment where Saru stood up and showed, uh, you know, not only did he show solidarity and support for a person that was, you know, at the beginning of the season an antagonist for him and Michael Burnham, um, but it also was another moment where we we showed that the crew was fully behind their captain and their captain is a kelpian and his name is saru um mm-hmm. so the fact that they were on their way to vulcan as the episode was ending to get their new captain who who knows who it is um really kind of it, it 
it, it felt disrespectful to me. Like I was mm-hmm. upset about the fact that, you know, we're not going to see Saru as the as the captain of the ship, or maybe we'll get to Vulcan and and Sarek will be uh, you know, he'll say, Hey, the, the captain is right around this corner and Saru will walk around the corner, it's a mirror. And and Sarek will say, Surprise, we got you, you're the captain. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that, that was, I guess my biggest takeaway from it. And again, uh, just the, the overarching feeling I had with this episode was that it was a little too clean that here we are at the end with an award ceremony for everyone. Um, so yeah, right. I, you know, uh, I was kind of miffed with that or nonplussed by it, by it all. Okay. Fair enough. Rachel. Where we left with the characters? Uh, I just felt like the whole episode was so rushed that, like, you had this at the end, and it it just felt weird, like, um, like it was artificial. Like they they needed. They're like, okay, feel concluded now. Everybody got what they <laughs> like. The conclusion is now, and right. um, so like. It reminds me of like dumb essays I had to write in high school, or like you have to like in conclusion. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it, you know it's fine, but it's just the whole episode. It was part of the larger problems I had with the episode. Yeah, and I'm in general agreement with you guys. I mean, uh, I I can't say that I'm not interested in seeing more from these characters because I think there is a potentially very interesting crew here. Uh, we saw flashes of brilliance from all of them over the course of the season. Uh, but we do need to have more time with everyone uh, as opposed to just Michael, Saru, uh, Stamets, and Tilly. Uh, there's a, a Starship crew is made up of dozens of people, you know, whether they appear two times, three times, five times, or a whole season. Uh, the other Star Trek shows, obviously not in the first season, but other Star Trek shows – in their totality are really good at establishing supporting characters. And I definitely want to see discovery continue that trend. Uh, any speculation on who the new captain of discovery is, or could we see the seeds of a fourth pip for either Saru or Michael Cicero? You seem to think that maybe Saru could end up being the captain of the ship. Is that a prediction you want to stick by? Uh, Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I think he, I think he's earned it. Um, And, you know, and like we should be, we should be giving out command to to those people who have earned it. Um, so, mm-hmm. yes, um, you know what? Right. You know what? Here, here's here's a crazy prediction because you know why not, right? Um, uh-huh. The captain of the ship will be uh, someone named Spock, and he will get there, see that his sister is on board. And decide that he doesn't want, he is not ready for command, and he will uh, he will uh, deny the appointment. You know, I would think that that was crazy if we didn't see a Star Trek movie where someone advanced from cadet to captain in like two weeks. So, yeah, right. hey, you know, why not? Why not? I'll 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 allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. Maybe maybe there is a, com- a commission for command that Spock turned down that we didn't know right. about before. Uh, Zaki, what do you think about the potential future captain of the Starship Discovery? Do you think it's going to be a new character or someone we've seen before? You know, I'm I'm a part of me wonders if if the creatives even know 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a valid you know? question. Yeah, sure. It it feels a little bit like all right, we'll like take summer break and then and then you know we'll we'll hash it out when we get back. But if I were to make a prediction about a prior character, here's here's my prediction, and maybe it's a little out there, but the character uh, Majel Barrett played in in the cage. Number you one. stole my prediction. You stole Did I really? <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah. She, oh, wow. showed up, she showed up in the uh, Drastic Measures novel too, and uh, I think in the EU her name is Commander Una, which would be oh, okay. it would be cool to see if she would show up. But you know, the thing that I think makes that prediction potentially more salient that book hinted at this very uh, palpable romantic tension between her and Saru that I would love to see explored wow. on the show. Oh, how interesting! So, it, which makes, I mean, you should definitely read that book, but no, I'm, I'm on your wavelength, man. I think that's a great, that's really question. funny. <laughs> no, that's, I, I certainly hope that comes to pass because she is a character. We certainly did not get to see enough of, obviously she's got one episode appearance under her belt. She managed to be completely fascinating, even in that single appearance. And she's obviously a capable command presence and we have no idea what her career took her to. So I think it's totally canonically plausible that she could be the captain. Absolutely. And 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 above and beyond that, I I just I don't see them being like, all right, let's plug in another white guy as the captain. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and this lets you do something that that allows for you know really kind of the diversity that the show is representative of anyway, while also tying a little thread back to sort of extant continuity in a way that doesn't step on anything because it's not like this character has a long and, and, you know, tapestry, uh, esque history, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm total in total agreement with you, my friend. Absolutely. Rachel, do you have a prediction? Well, my thought was Spock. So Cicero kind of stole stole mine. Really? You guys Um, think that he's going to jump from Lieutenant to captain, like in the snap of a finger? Maybe not. Right. I didn't like. I don't know who it is. Uh, let's say Prime Lorca. <laughs> you think Lorca's <laughs> like Prime Lorca's been chilling on Vulcan, uh, doing some mind melts, um, healing like, his wounds from being transposed and from being a witness to the Tarsus Four massacre. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, maybe he, you know, got out of the mirror universe by some sort of. Transwarp mind meld <laughs> with someone. You know, honestly, I would not be against seeing Lorca, especially Prime Lorca. I think Zaki is more correct in that it's not going to be a white male. Right. But if it were Lorca, I might be okay with it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll Paul is also, I think we talked about that before, but uh, Paul is, is also someone that would be interesting to see. Vulcans do age very that slowly. Correct. That is for sure. I mean, I would love I would love to see any other character from Enterprise show up because there's nothing that necessarily limits. Like Rachel and I were reading uh I there was a one-shot comic book that I had her read that featured every doctor of every show. And there was a brief team up of Flox and McCoy. Mm-hmm. And Flox didn't look like he had aged a day <laughs> in the mid 23rd century. <laughs> I would love it if Dr. Flox was able to appear in the show somehow. Like it, the comic made a reference to him teaching at Starfleet Academy. And I think he's a great character anyway. So yeah, I'm all for inclusion of enterprise characters. Totally. All right. Well, guys, 
we have something big to really? talk about here because the episode clearly <laughs> <laughs> the episode was not over yet. So, as Discovery is warping to Vulcan to pick up its new captain, it receives a priority one distress call from a, sh- a ship that they can't initially identify. It eventually comes through that the hailing ship is none other than the USS Enterprise under the command of Captain Christopher Pike. And now we are left in utter shock and awe until season two comes out to see what the hell is going on here. They had hinted months ago that they weren't going to touch any hero elements of the original series. And the Enterprise... Got you good, Chris. The Enterprise shows up at the end of this show. Now, obviously, you know, especially as we've been talking... I'm sort of thinking, okay, they knew that they maybe couldn't bring the goods plot-wise, but they had to leave us on a high. For me, it worked. I mean, it was a ploy that pretty much worked. Uh, Obviously not enough for me to forgive the faults of the episode. But as you can tell from my heightened voice, this kind of excites the hell out of me. I'm really intrigued by this this potential team-up of this new show that we've met with the show that I have so much love in my heart for, even if it looks a little different, I don't care. That's the Enterprise. It looked beautiful. It looked awesome. See, hearing that music accompanying with it, this hit me square in the heart. So, all I want to know is this. What were your initial reactions? Obviously, you know mine. I showed you my initial reaction. Rachel recorded it. (laughs) And after this, I'll probably share it on the podcast Facebook page so everyone can see it even though it's not my greatest moment. But how has this moment sat with you since watching it? And what do you think this could potentially mean for season two? Zachy, start us off. The USS Enterprise at the end of Star Trek Discovery. Well, it, it definitely shows that they're trying to bear hug uh, the continuity-wise. I mean, they really want to tie in what Discovery uh, is going to represent and, and and I'm curious because, I mean, we think of the Enterprise as the legendary ship, but really it's the legendary ship that Captain Kirk commanded. And and so, you know, I'm curious, I don't know if this makes sense, but like, does Discovery in its time represent what the Enterprise will come to mean under Captain Kirk? Does that make sense? Yeah, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. So so it's, it's you know, I, I think... We've never, canonically, other than the cage, seen the pre-Kirk Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there have been novels, there have been comics, some pretty great comics, but this is our first time, notwithstanding the Kelvin timeline, seeing Captain Pike in command of the Enterprise. So that's, I mean, just as a nerd, that's like exciting. Sure. Are and you sad? Right. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I want to ask you, because are you satisfied with how much this show is set up over the course of the season to run with the cage era crew of the ship? I mean, the ship itself, obviously, we all have questions about how, presuming we actually do see the interior of the ship, I'm going to be fascinated to see what the design philosophy is. But as far as the characters are concerned, they named Captain Pike. Burnham and Sarek share a knowing look. They know who else is on that ship. We know who else is on that ship at this point in time in Spock. Are you satisfied with the promise, I guess, of seeing Captain Pike's Enterprise on this series in season two? Yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting. I mean, I, I, I don't know 
uh, I mean, maybe you guys do. When is Discovery set vis-a-vis the cage? Has the cage already happened or is it going to happen? The cage happened in 2254. The finale of Discovery takes place in 2257. Oh, Oh, okay. So then – oh, okay. That's really interesting. Okay. So that's cool then, right? So we're we're really due to get then is a is a decades belated sequel to the cage yes that's kind of cool you know yeah yeah you know is like and how many years away are we from from kirk taking command 10 years away Uh, just about yeah canonically what was established was that kirk took command of the enterprise in 2265 and finished his five-year mission in 2270 uh, I get. I guess the beginning of 2270 because 2271 is when TMP takes place at some point. So, so, so this is this is what's interesting to me. In the cage, we see a Christopher Pike who is like kind of done with it, right? And and he's at his lowest ebb, and yet we know he put in you know six or seven years uh, following that in command of the ship. So this will be a chance to really see a Pike in his prime. Yes. Uh, that's cool, you know, and, and I, I think I said, I either, I said this on this show or I said it off mic, I would love, love, love if we could get Bruce Greenwood in there yeah. and give him like, give him like yeah. a Jeffrey Hunter hairstyle, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause to me, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a pipe dream to get Zachary Quinto to play Spock, but Bruce Greenwood is so good as Pike. He is, he is, yeah. he's, he's very, the, here's the, the problem canonically is that Bruce Greenwood now is on the older side of playing yeah, right. this version of Pike, right? I mean, I it, that's not enough to dissuade me from wanting Bruce Greenwood. I would love it. The fan casting that I threw out on a Facebook group was Tom Welling wow. as Captain Pike. Because oh, I, I, I think that would be pretty yeah. cool. He's about the right age and he looks kind of like Jeffrey Hunter – and I think that, that might be kind of cool. That's just that's a fan pipe dream on on my end. But when it comes to Spock, presuming Spock actually does end up appearing, because the writers have been kind of uh, hot and cold about it, Spock needs to be Quinto. I mean, Quinto is Nimoy's appointed successor as Spock. But the fact that they've been weird about saying what the the possibilities for Spock are, and whether or not we're even going to see the interiors of the Enterprise, has me kind of like hands off a little bit. Like, are you guys you guys know what you have? Why aren't you going to use this to its full potential? But we'll see. But uh, I mean, here, here's the problem: you, you, right. you can't allude right. to Spock. It's like you either you either show him or you, you either show him or you don't mention him because you're just going to piss people off. Oh yeah, totally. If you're like, oh, you know, you know, it would it would be like uh, the, right. the movie The Bourne Legacy. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, good like point. The Jason Bourne spinoff where right. Jason Bourne is always just like down the hall or in the other room. Right, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's snuffle up because he just <laughs> missed him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, taking taking an approach with Spock, uh the same approach that apparently Sony has with Spider Man. You know, we'll do Venom, but right, get this right. without Spider Man. Or there's this right. show with Lex Luthor and Lois Lane to get this without <laughs> Superman. I mean, it's just like, don't do that to Star Trek. Just don't. You're showing us the USS Enterprise. Right. We know Spock is there. You have a guy who's not unattainable on a television budget, especially Discovery's right. television budget, which is quite large. Get Quinto. Let him be Spock in this era because that would be awesome. But uh, Agreed. 
So let, let what do you guys think? So Cicero, I mean, how did this strike you? What does it fill you with when it comes to speculation about season two? Lay it on me. I mean, I completely fanboyed out. I mean, that, I mean, that was the point. Like that was the goal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and maybe, maybe they knew they were going to lay an egg for this episode. So they had to come with the goods at the end. And, and actually from what I've heard is they, they kind of reverse engineered this entire season and they knew that they were going to end with the discovery nose bridge to bridge or nose to nose with the enterprise. Huh? So, uh, and then they just kind of worked backwards from there. Um, so, so they, they all along when they were, you know, they were they were playing coy with us when they said that there weren't going to be any of that kind of stuff. And, and it, you know, I I fell for it, um, you know, and I think we all kind of fell for it and and, you know, and created our own rationales for why uh, that was, you know, how it was going to happen. Um, yeah. As, as for season two, you can't you can't present the Enterprise. You can't. End the season with the iconic Star Trek theme, and then come back in season two and just say, "Oh, I just kidding," and and you know, <laughs> and, then, and then the you know the Enterprise skates away or something like that. You know, like Pike Pike has an emergency message, and the message is, "Hey, good." Uh, good, good job saving the galaxy, guys. And then he, you know, and then they they uh, they warp warp out of there. Um, so we're going to have to spend time with this crew. We we know that uh, we know who's on the crew, who's in the crew. Um, we're going to have to spend some time with them. Uh, the casting, I, you know, I'm not even going to speculate in, in in the casting in the casting realm. I will say, I'll I'll ask this question of you, Chris. Mm-hmm. What if Spock is not Zachary Quinto? They would have to find a hell of a performer to match the vision of Spock as we all understand him. I mean, I think it would needlessly complicate things if they got another actor. I mean, you could say that it was needlessly complicated by finding James Frain as Sarek. That's a little bit more forgivable, though, just because the actor who played him in the alternate reality, Ben Cross, who was perfectly fine – we didn't have to spend a lot of time with them necessarily. Right. It wasn't necessarily right. focused on Sarek like Discovery has been. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be super against. Here's what I'll be against. All right, a CGI resurrection of Leonard Nimoy. I do oh, not no, want no, that. No, 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 no. We cannot Good have God. that. Oh no, no. That, why that's, would why would you even speak that into existence, Chris? That's shame look, on you. <laughs> That's the one thing I'm going to say no. Like that's the uh, one thing I would be dead set against. Another uh, actor, maybe, depends on who it is. Uh even if it's someone I don't necessarily know, then I'm not going to be just against another performer taking it up. However, Zachary Quinto is far and away the preference. Yes. Yeah. Rachel, the USS Enterprise. It's cool. See, cuz this is the thing. <laughs> this is what you guys don't know. Rachel by and large, is immune to fan service, right? Wow. These, these geek out – she doesn't geek out at things, at least not outwardly. Like sometimes we will watch something and there's like this huge geek out moment that we're talking about later and I'll say, well, you weren't really into that. And she goes, yes, I was. It's like, well, you internalize it really well. But yeah, I wasn't screaming like you. Well, you were – you 
took out your phone to film me screaming. Yeah, well, they gave me. I I thank the writers for that by having the one seven. <laughs> right, the right exactly. Like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so, telegraph that one. Holy crap! Yeah, it gives us all time to grab our phones to <laughs> film our phone. Yeah. Um, I was excited, but I was, you know. I I have to admit, like in the in the moment, I was mostly excited for you being oh, so excited. Wow, um, but yeah, it's it's cool to see, and I I don't, I'm mostly like anxious about what they're gonna do with it, and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people melting down on the internet because whatever they choose, like half of the people on the internet are just going to love it or a, hate it. Yeah. They're just going to have a meltdown or they're going to be like, yes. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, Zachy, I don't know if you saw that the other day, uh, there was a Facebook posting that I had made that about repositioning and re-envisioning history from a continuity perspective. Right. And I brought up the example of comics because comics do it all the time. You know, if there's right. a costume change that that's happens, right. that's been retconned and a previous milestone event is shown in a future issue, then they'll show that new costume, even though it wasn't the same thing. So I'm I'm sort of right. inclined to look at this as that. The only thing that's actually solidly in continuity are the events and the people, not necessarily how their settings looked. You know, like maybe that's a little different. It's the realities of of changing production design, changing uh, aesthetic philosophy, and all of those things that go into it. So that doesn't really bother me. Of course, I would like to see a nod to the classic uh, design of the Enterprise if we do see that ship. There's a really cool uh, – in the Everything Star Trek Facebook group, someone had posted a really cool mock-up of what a Discovery Enterprise could look like that sort of melds the two design philosophies together. And that's cool. You know, I would love to see something like that. But uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to hinge my perspective on how rigidly they adhere to a 50-year-old design philosophy. Okay, so did you guys to, to end this out? What did you guys think of the redesign of the Enterprise itself? Uh, this is kind of a pedantic continuity note, but not really, as we just talked about. It sort of looked to me like they were taking the best of the Discovery aesthetic, also taking a little bit from the NX01 to make a vision that was still very much the Constitution class enterprise. What did you think, Zachy? You know, if I'm being honest, my preference would have been that we see the original Matt Jeffries model kind of gussied up and, and uh, you know, made to fit uh, based on how it's lit and everything else uh, alongside Discovery, but still fundamentally the mm-hmm. same. Uh, now, to be clear, it's not like I'm flipping over the table in rage and just storming out of the room. It isn't that. And but I I don't know I mean I, I I'm of two minds on that because because I do I think ultimately uh, your point about about comic book history and sort of like a sliding scale that's enough for me like I'm like it's fine mm-hmm. you know but there is this part of me that's like you know if we think of Star Trek as representative of uh, the history of the future then we say well the TOS era is is a period, right? So we want to be period accurate. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. You know, mm-hmm. you know and, and, and I think part of the reason for my saying that is every iteration of Star Trek up to this point, well, not every, excuse me, the uh, pre-Kelvin, every iteration always treated the original era as 
a period, right? So, so when when uh, you know Cisco and then went back in time, it looked like the original Enterprise. When Scotty pulled up the bridge, it looked like the original right. Enterprise. And then on you know the mirror episodes of Enterprise, etc. So, so it's like up to this point, that's what they did. And then suddenly we're like, no, actually, it's a sliding uh, visual look as mm-hmm. well. I think that's the reason for the disconnect. So, you know, for example, I saw on Facebook Robert Meyer Burnett, who's you know he produces all the special features for the for the Star Trek Blu-rays. So he's he's not a piker when it comes to Trek. He was he posted a picture of the Enterprise in in Discovery, and he was just like "f you." Whoa! And it was uh, what I can only imagine: frustration at you know sort of playing fast and loose with with visual continuity, which to, to many people is just as important as as story mm-hmm. continuity. Well, I mean, it's it's um, it certainly does come with iconography. I would never. Uh, I mean, POS is my favorite show. I love the design that Matt Jeffries committed. Uh, I mean, I cert- Robert Meyer Burnett was actually one of the participants of the Twitter conversation that we had had a while ago. And uh, mm-hmm. he and Cicero kind of locked horns a little bit because he's – I guess yeah. he's on Collider Talk and he just hates this show. Like, okay, he right. hates this okay. show. He takes opportunities on his Twitter feed to hate the show out and out. So, I, I mean, I understand mm. that he has a close connection to it and that he's even worked on it, but I don't understand his sheer venom for every aspect of the show. So this just seems like icing on the cake. It almost seems this is more right. Of that. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's the only reason why I take a little bit of issue with that response is because it seems like he's one of the kinds of Star Trek fans that goes out of his way to just hate everything about this show. Right. And, and just, and to be clear, like I'm, I, I'm not saying that that's where I'm at, but I can definitely understand why people are. And, and so for me, it's, it's, this is this specifically what we're seeing. Nothing up till now on discovery has been as much of a continuity break where you're saying what you remembered didn't, happen exactly the way you remember it that's what this episode specifically of discovery is doing and it's like you're either okay with Mm -hmm. it or you're not yeah you know and and it's it's you know if if we're looking at parallels you look at like you look at like the star wars films Mm -hmm. and when they're doing these spin-off stories they have to be period accurate yeah Right, and I think what Star Wars has the freedom to do, which Star Trek does not, is Star Wars has the freedom of well, it's all period because it's uh, you know a long time ago and it's a galaxy far, far away, so it has nothing to do with us. Star Trek has the problem of it's you know our present is way more advanced than the future of 1966, right? right. And so, so it's tied into us, right? So, in other words, I don't know if this makes sense, but it's like we we have to like star trek always has to be 300 years ahead of us where we are right at any given mm-hmm. time and you you know on the original on on captain pike's enterprise they're like hey send me a yeah, printout you know? right well and and star <laughs> and, wars also had yeah. the advantage of having frankly a more timeless aesthetic than the original series yeah. well and it's and it's just it's not tied to us right. period yeah so they have the flexibility to be like well that you know that might be less advanced than we are right now but whatever that's the star wars universe and has nothing to do with mm-hmm. us yep star trek doesn't have that flexibility True. 
Cicero, do you have a perspective on this? Well, you know, my perspective is a little weird because, you know, personally, I don't see maybe, you know, maybe I'm the one that's not seeing it, but I don't see that there was a dramatic difference between uh, the original, uh, you know, 1701 versus versus the one that we saw in Discovery. Um you know, like I, yeah. you know, I think that there are some aesthetic choices that have been made. You know, uh, Zachy's 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 commentary um, about uh, period piece continuity, notwithstanding, because it is definitely true. I just didn't, I didn't see anything that would make me feel like this this enterprise is dramatically different from, or the one that we saw in Discovery was dramatically different from the one that we saw. In the Kelvin films pre uh, NXO one, you know, um, so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I just felt like it was, you know, it was just it was just a, mo- a more modernized version of of the Enterprise because they have more money um, and they have the mm-hmm. ability to to do things a little bit differently. Um, where the difference is going to 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 be is going to be when we actually, if and when we get to see the inside of the ship and we get to see the bridge and we get to see the uniforms and, and all this other stuff. The, the, the thing that, that I do find a little bit in, inexcusable and kind of damning on, on this show and its showrunners is the, the point that I made in the last question, which is that they started, you know, they, they, they started the entire process of building this show around the idea that at the end of it, they would show the enterprise. So if you go Mm -hmm. into it, knowing that you're setting this, setting this show prior to the show that started it all. And, uh, and, you know, and you know that you're going to include the ship that started it all why you would make some of the the technological and aesthetic choices that you would make um even even you know even because you have all of this you know because you have this budget um is is kind of perplexing yeah. to me so you know hopefully those things will be explained and and you know once we actually get to see a, a vision of the uh the enterprise crew pike's crew um maybe we'll get some of that stuff explained or maybe it'll just it will just all pretend like it didn't happen we'll all be like wharf we don't we don't you know we don't talk about that so (laughs) rachel do you have a perspective on this chris you know that i'm aesthetic blind when it comes to that's true things yes. i don't notice changes in superhero costumes well to be fair you didn't notice the change between amazing spider-man one and two which was pretty substantial <laughs> yeah i also wasn't paying attention during right those yeah movies. right gotcha um so like it looked like the enterprise to me like just a different shade of gray yes uh so i i'm i'm fine with it I un- I completely understand why people are upset. Mm-hmm. Like it, it comes down to what Zachy was saying that you know this is a it either works for you or it doesn't. Yeah, like there you can take different tacks on it. You can mm-hmm. you can take a like this is an immutable thing, a, a historical period, or you can say you know we're gonna do it in the art style mm-hmm. of whatever we're doing now. Um, yeah. So. 
you know, I'm personally not offended by it, but I, if, if you are, I sympathize with you. Very well. Well, uh, we, we do have one listener question and I want to throw it to Zachy to end the show because it's kind of, it kind of ties into what we were just talking about. So why don't we open up the old communicator? So this question is from Rob O'Connor. Zachy, how faithful should the show be to the aesthetic of the cage, given that they've already broken the seal by tweaking the design of the enterprise? So I assume that Rob is talking about when we actually do pick things up in season two, do you want to see the aesthetic of the cage adhered to whether it's the set design of the enterprise, whether it's uniforms a crew might wear, even though the, that's, you know, it may not necessarily be the same thing. Do you want to see that observed uh, rigidly, loosely, or not at all? Well, I, I think based on just what we're seeing of the exterior of the enterprise, uh, uh, it's it's loosely adhering to to the general aesthetic of of that original model. So I would expect something similar when we when we cut inside the ship. I mean, I'm certainly not uh, expecting the same boxy kind of uh, vaguely cheap looking bridge that we're also familiar with. But I mean, it should certainly be something that you you kind of squint your eyes and say, yeah. I guess that's what they were on, you know, because I'm assuming that's what they're trying to do now mm-hmm. um, with this enterprise is to just have it look close enough where you're like, yeah, that I guess that's kind of the same, you know, uh, as Rachel's saying, eh, it looks close enough, right. you know? Yeah. I mean, and so, so I, I don't, let me put this out. I don't want it to look like the Apple store <laughs> in, in the coat, <laughs> you know, like I like that bridge, but that's that bridge yeah. and there's no comparing it with, with the original. So it should, it should look, aesthetically evocative of of the original bridge while acknowledging that well this is clearly discovery and they're doing things their yeah, way. Yeah, and I'm in agreement. And you know, there are some pretty big functional differences with the way that that ship looks it looks like it has an entirely other shuttle bay on the saucer section, which is a pretty big design mm-hmm. departure, but it also makes sense too. I mean, maybe Captain Pike did have a ready room after all that we just didn't know about. That you know, that's one of the things if you guys do read the right. Desperate Hours novel David Mack tries so hard to preserve the aesthetic of the original series and reconcile it with the design changes in Discovery. He actually probably deserves a medal because he juggles all of these things uh-huh. and he explains all of these things. The The crew of the Enterprise is on a Constitution-class ship, so since that's the forefront of the Federation, they have these special diplomatic uniforms that we saw uh-huh. in the original series. Uh-huh. And, uh Pike doesn't have a ready room, so he has to actually leave the bridge and run down the corridor to his quarters so that he can take a call from Admiral Anderson in time. And all of these other things, it's really kind of fascinating and just kind of fun to read that book in that respect if you do observe those things. But uh, okay, guys. Well, I think we have talked up quite a storm. That's probably going to have to do it for this episode of Discovery Debrief. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Cicero, do you have a final thought you want to share? Um, yeah, long live the empire. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Rachel? Prime Lorca, come back. (laughs) Banging the drum for Prime Lorca. All right. Well, 
That's going to do it for episode 17 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes as we prepare to discuss the entirety of Star Trek Discovery Season 1 in a future episode. That next episode is likely a couple of weeks away. Rachel and I will be traveling soon, but we'll plan on jumping in to discuss our favorite franchise with you once more when we do return. Like we did after the mid-season finale, we'll also likely do an episode that includes a review and discussion of the new Drastic Measures novel, as well as some discussion and reflection on previous elements of the franchise, and maybe even some reviews of some upcoming Star Trek comics from IDW, and who knows, whatever the hell else we want to talk about, we could talk about anything that might not even have to do with Star Trek, because we like talking to each other, and we hope you like listening to us talk to each other. So all those details will be forthcoming, so please keep (laughs) an eye on our social media channels, and of course, on your podcast feed. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. It's the USS Enterprise.